Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our readings today guard and warn us against the presence of false prophets, those who would be ravenous wolves, often disguised in sheep's clothing. As we consider the office of prophet, it is good for us to also consider the office of pastor, for the two are closely linked. While this division might be not exactly cut and dry, a good way to think of the division between prophets and pastors is how they have received their call to proclaim the word of God. A pastor is one who has received his call mediated, that means through the means of the church herself. I am standing here today because this congregation about a year and a half ago sent me a call and I responded after prayer and consideration and accepted that call. The Lord worked through you, extending that invitation, that calling for me, and therefore I have been sent here by the Lord himself. A prophet, on the other hand, is one who receives an immediate call that is without means. The Lord himself, usually through the angel of the Lord, or the word of the Lord, comes to an individual and says, rise up and go and speak my word. The other distinction is often the message that is proclaimed, or this, as, a, as a pastor, I do not profess that I've had some dreams or visions which clarify the word of God, but I proclaim to you what has been given to me through the scriptures, which has been written by the apostles and the prophets to proclaim the full counsel of God. Prophets, on the other hand, are given visions, but it is not a new word of God. For the only time a new word of God was given was at the very beginning, after the fall, when God himself told Adam and Eve that there would be the one, the seed of the woman, would crush the serpent, even as his heel was crushed. All prophets from then on have clarified that word, proclaiming and narrowing it down so we'd know who that seed was. The child of Abraham, the son of David, born in Bethlehem, but they have never been given that which is new, that which is distinct, which is why Solomon can proclaim that there is nothing new under heaven. No, those who would try to change that word are the ones of whom we are warned against today. False prophets still abound. Oh, maybe there, well, there are those who claim to have had been sent directly from God those who claim to have visions and to have a word from God. But we can also connect this to the office of pastor, that there are false pastors. For indeed, while the offices might be slightly distinct, there is a lot of overlap in what they do. For to prophesy, the main, the main calling of a prophet is to reveal the hidden word, sorry, to reveal the hidden will of God. And what is that hidden will? The Lord desires for all to be saved, that the sinner repent of his sins and turn from his wicked ways and live. The Lord has mercy. We can clearly see God's judgment all around. We see it every time there is destruction and death. That is the revealed will, that God hates sin. But his mercy is what needs to be revealed through the prophets, through the apostles, through Jesus himself. Yet, so it is that pastors prophesy when we proclaim that gospel message of God's love and mercy to you. At the same time, 
pastors, which is simply the Latin word for shepherd, shepherd. We care, we comfort, we bring help to those in times of need. We defend against the enemies, which is also the calling of prophets. Think of Nathan who showed up to David to rebuke him of his sin of adultery with Bathsheba. But then, as David repented, was also quick to proclaim the forgiveness and the mercy of our Lord. So how do we recognize a false prophet, a false pastor? The Lord says it's clearly, they are the ones who give you a vain hope, who tell you it's okay to do what you want. They are the ones who often want to avoid speaking of sin or the cross because people don't like it. Of course, why would we? Who wants to be told that you are a poor, miserable sinner? That no matter how much you try or how hard you try, you are not good enough for God in any way, shape, or form. And more than that, that what you want to do and what you like to do often fall outside what God says. That the commandments aren't optional. God doesn't just give us suggestions of how to live. He tells us this is what the Word of God is. Love your neighbor. Love your God. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. False prophets, however, would excuse sin. Oh, God loves you. It doesn't matter. He would never send you judgment. He would never exclude you. God is inclusive. They are the ones who even go not only to excuse but promote sin. Did God really say that that was wrong? How could he? After all, if we don't eat, if we're allowed to eat pork, if we're allowed to do other things he prohibited in the Old Testament, why not do whatever you want? What's really amazing is when God is presented in such a way, when our Lord is proclaimed to be so inclusive, so allowing, so open, it really reduces him to nothing more than a cheerleader who's kind of egging you on and saying, go, do well. Or maybe simply a good luck charm. When things go bad, call upon God, and the worst of them will tell you, well, God won't let anything happen to you. And yet, what then becomes of God? He's not our Savior. He's not our helper. And when things happen, whether it's to you or that you do yourself, where do you turn? Man's confidence then is rested on his own merit in life. How do I know that God loves me? Well, because things are going well. Because I'm healthy, wealthy, and wise. Because life is a bowl of cherries. And yet, who among us doesn't know that those times are coming when the clouds roll in, when all that's left are the pits, when life becomes tough, often because of what others do, but maybe even more often because of our own sins, because we ignore the Word of God, and then what? False prophets are one who would have you think you can do whatever you want, and it doesn't matter. Yes, it is true, God has forgiven you completely in Christ. And he has done that not so you can go and do what you want, but to have new life. Paul explains this so eloquently in the letter to Romans. We just spent the last, what, year going over that before we hit COVID? 
You have not been raised to new life so that you could sin. You have been raised to new life to live the life God desires for you. Not because it earns his favor at all, but because by the Spirit we recognize this is what gives us the abundant life. Another way you can tell a false pastor is because often they haven't spent time in God's Word. But they have suddenly appeared as if they can claim knowledge of God despite the fact that they have never stood in His counsel. But yet, throughout Scriptures, we see clearly that those who are sent, those who are called, are first taught. Even the prophets who receive that immediate call are ones who spent time in the counsel of the Lord to sit and pay attention, to be grounded in that word of God, so that nothing which the true pastor speaks is anything but the word of God. I'm not up here giving you my opinion or my wisdom. Trust me, I think I have a lot of that about how the world should work, and I might discuss that over a beer or a coffee with you as we're sitting down, but I would make clear that that's my own thoughts and probably not worth much more than the drink in front of us. But when I stand up here as your pastor, my fervent prayer and my intention is that nothing proceeds from my mouth which is not in the word of God, which has not been given to me, which I have not been taught. Even the apostles and disciples were not sent out until they sat at the foot of Jesus for years. It was at least a couple years before he sent them out the first time while he was still alive. And then they came back. And he instructed them more before he finally died and rose again. It's not a coincidence that our seminary training reflects that, that kind of pattern. Spending two years at the feet of professors who are grounded in the word of God before we go out on our vicarage to be taught by pastors in the field. And then we come back. It mirrors how the apostles themselves were taught by our Lord. It is so that as we go forth, Ones who are new in the faith are not simply spouting whatever they think or are caught up in the ways of the world, but grounded in that same word preached by the apostles 2,000 years ago by the prophets even millennia before that. For it is nothing less than the full counsel of God which brings life and salvation. There are some pastors who shy away from the gospel, Afraid that if the gospel is preached too often and too frequently, it will lead to a lackadaisical lifestyle. That attitude Paul talked about in Romans 6. If, shall we sin that grace may abound? If I'm saved, why don't I do whatever I want? And yet, if the law alone is preached, all it will bring is despair and resentment. Imagine for a moment that the state passed a law saying, blind people can drive now. Only they have to pass the eye test. True, those who are blind probably never expected to drive. But such a law would actually cause resentment. And so it is with the law of God. It is good that one who drives can see. And yet, when the law gives us commands that we can't keep, it leads to despair and resentment. For how can we indeed acquire God's love if it's impossible to keep his commands? Yet on the other hand, if the law is excluded, if that mirror is not placed before you to show you you're incapable of saving yourself, showing you that we are poor, miserable sinners, then what then do we need a Savior for? 
Jesus is only as big a Savior as your sins are great in your life. And it is when we recognize how deadly our sins are that the light of the Savior shines forth. The true prophet and the true pastor does preach the law and the gospel. And it begins with the sure and certain knowledge, as our Lord says to the prophet Jeremiah, that judgment comes to those who reject his word, that judgment comes to those who rebel against him, that his word is a fire and a hammer that breaks rocks in pieces. It's not pleasant to hear. I don't like to be told that I have failed. I'm sure you don't as well. But it is necessary. It is necessary to hear the diagnosis for our lives. It's necessary to know what is dangerous to us. It's there. As the mirror of the law reflects back to us who we are, that then the gospel message comes in. That yes, God hates that sin. God hates what you do when you rebel against him. But my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, God does love you. The Father loves you. And how do we know this? Jesus says, we know by the, by the fruit that is born. We know by the actions which go forth. And this isn't Jesus telling you that you look and wait to see the sin go away in your life to know you're a Christian. That's how it's misinterpreted. Jesus is talking about the word that's preached. What is the effect? And it starts because we see what he has done. How do we know that God loves us, that the Father does have mercy upon you? It's the words of Jesus to Nicodemus. It's called the gospel in a nutshell, and I say it so often because it is so clear. God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only begotten Son. And that this Son would be raised up even as the serpent was raised up by Moses for the life of the world. We know that the Father loves us because of what he saw. And we know that the true word is God's word when it goes forth and creates faith, when it calms the trembling hearts of sinners, when it places in us the desire to avoid sin, to love God and love our neighbor. If you want to know what the full counsel of God is this, is that yes, God hates sin. We see it quite clearly because he often allows us to face the consequences of our sin. When we rebel against him, we endure the difficulties of it in this life. But that is so that he can chastise those he loves. The greater message, that hidden message, which is my privilege to proclaim week in and week out, is simply this, that Jesus does love you, that he has forgiven you, that he is your ever-present help in time of need. That by his death, your sins are paid, and the eternal consequences of sin are no more. And by his glorious resurrection, you have been justified, made right with the Father, and you are part of his family now and always. Let us cling to that word of God that our fervent prayer may ever be, Lord, abide with me now and always, through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We rise. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.